Jesus, the light of the world, is my message today. And uh, what an interesting phrase. Jesus uses this phrase uh, only once about himself, referring to himself. And I'd like to tell you the story leading up to I love stories in the Bible. For me, it comes alive with a story. So can I give you the story? Um, Here's how it goes. Jesus' physical brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judah, um, didn't believe in him. By the way, they did later. They became fervent followers of Jesus, and all four of them died for him, we think. So uh, they, they died for their dear brother. But at, the mo- at this time, they didn't believe in him, and they mocked him. You won't go to Jerusalem for the feast. I've got some slides here. Let's just check. For the feast. It was a feast of tabernacles. Because, they said, the Jews in the south want to kill you, so you won't go. So you keep your works a secret and you're not open about them, was their phrase. Thank you, that's helpful. And Jesus explained that his time had not yet come, but they didn't seem to understand what he was saying. So his brothers went off to the feast. And we're told that one or two days later, Jesus discreetly followed. And he arrived at the feast himself. Now, all pious Jews would try to go to Jerusalem at least twice a year to, the, to two feasts in particular, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles lasted seven days. And during this time, the Jews filled the city. It was packed. And they came from all over the country. In fact, they came from all over the Roman Empire for the Feast of Tabernacles. Many camped out on the adjacent Mount of Olives. Which it seems is where Jesus stayed during this time. And around day three or four of the feast, Jesus went to teach in the temple. Now we know that Jesus taught in at least four different areas of the temple. He, uh, we know that he taught, for example, where do I need to put, there we go, he taught in the court of Gentiles at least twice. But it's very unlikely that on this occasion he taught there. Sometimes he taught in Solomon's porch, which was just there somewhere. But on this occasion, it's more likely to have been one of his other two spots, either the court of the women, which was just here, or the court of Israel, which was just here. And that's where the Pharisees tended to gather. We know that the Pharisees were close by on this particular occasion. And that the Pharisees also very rarely went to the court of Gentiles. So it was most likely one of these two places. And Jesus taught. And we're told that the people were amazed. How does he know the scriptures so well, they asked. He's not even studied And Jesus answered them that his teaching was not from himself, but from his father who had sent him. And they didn't like that. In fact, they accused him of having a demon. But he answered them so well that many of them started to believe. Maybe, just maybe, this could be the promised Messiah, the promised anointed king who was going to come and rescue us. And the Pharisees heard the crowd turning in Jesus' favor in the middle of this crowded court. And they sent officers to take him captive. Meanwhile, Jesus was preaching about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how he himself would be living water. And some said in the crowd, is this a prophet? Others said, no, this is the Messiah. 
And the officers turned up and they didn't know what to do. So they went back. We could not take him, they said. No man has ever spoken like this man. Are you also deceived? The Pharisees asked the soldiers. So they hatched a plan, a plan that would catch Jesus out, they hoped. Early the next morning, we're told that Jesus once again left the Mount of Olives and he entered the temple again. And it says that all the people came to him. They sat down and he began to teach them. And it was in the middle of this crowd, in one of these courts, in the temple complex, that the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who had been caught in adultery. You remember the story, I'm sure. You see, in their eyes, Jesus already had already flouted the law of Moses on the, by healing on the Sabbath. And they would now test him again. And they said to him, the law of Moses says we should stone this woman. What do you say? Now, Jesus was stood up at the time, but now he stooped down uh, as if he'd not heard them, and he started to write in the ground with his finger. And again, they thought he hadn't heard them, so they asked again, and he raised himself back up into a standing position, and he answered the group that had brought the woman. Those of you that haven't sinned, you go first and throw the stone. And then he crouched down again. He knelt down and he started to write in the sand again. And the crowd uh, left, the mob left from the oldest first to the youngest. The crowd that Jesus had been teaching remained and a handful of Pharisees remained. But the mob that brought the woman had left. And uh, Jesus raised himself up. And uh, once again from his crouching position and saw that the crowd had gone. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she said. Then neither do I content, condemn you. Go, but make sure you don't sin anymore. And then Jesus turned back to the crowd and to the Pharisees that remained, and he said to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so there we have our phrase in its context, in its story. Now this meant something at the time because large candelabras were brought to the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles and they were put all around the outer courts and they were lit and it was called the illumination of the temple. There was something about the coming of the king that illuminated that brought light, that dispelled darkness. And Jesus called it the light of life. So what is this light? You know, the Feast of Tabernacles is an interesting time. It's when in the Old Testament, God himself came and he dwelt amongst his people. Physically amongst them. He tabernacled with them. He pitched his tent amongst them. And he be, it says that he became known to them. What an interesting phrase. God was there, illuminated in all of his glory. And it says he was present to save in all his glory. An interesting phrase. Let me say it again. He is present with us to save in all of his glory. 2 Corinthians says this, For God, who said, 
Let light shine out of darkness has shone in, your, in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus said in John 12, I've come to the world as light so that whoever believes in me might not remain in darkness. And this is the good news of Jesus our Messiah. That he can rescue us from darkness into his wonderful, his wonderful illumination. We were all in darkness. And for some listening today, you may be acutely aware that you are in darkness or in a dark place. And I know that without him, I would be in a very dark place. I know myself. I know where my thoughts and actions would go. And I know that I would be ashamed of who I was. I know that without him, there would be dark places in my life. I know myself well enough for that. We would all have part of our lives that we would not want others to see, would we not? Even Nancy would. She would. And I know that God's love would not abide in me. And I know that Satan wants me in darkness. He wants us in a dark place, in a dark depression. He wants us to harbor thoughts of anger. He wants us to harbor thoughts of hatred towards others. He wants us to know rejection and pain and resentment and darkness in our lives. He, he wants that. And he would have won if it were not for Jesus. He would have. I had no chance without Jesus. God's light through Jesus banishes darkness in our lives. I thank God for it. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God has dealt with Daverbet's darkness. We're dealing with it. Dealing with it. It's more fair. My guilt has been transformed to innocence. My shame has been banished. And I don't deserve it. And I'm forever grateful. I was at... Phil and Rachel's house group. Rachel. Well, you go there. Um, and uh, in the week, and I was talking about God's mercy, and I found myself weeping because we're recipients of his mercy. And this is part of that. It's, it's undeserved. I'm forever grateful for his tender mercies and kindness, which are fresh every morning for us. Now, here's the problem. The knowledge of the glory of God is not enough to rescue me from this darkness. It's not. In his wisdom, God has required something of me, and something that sounds a bit corny, but it is the power of God unto our salvation, the power of God that rescues us. When you're buried in darkness, trying in your own strength to be right before God and do the right thing never works. It's doomed to failure. Now, God is full of love for us, but never at the expense of righteousness. He wants to rescue me, but he will not accept me if I'm not righteous. And if I'm not right before God, if I do not live right, he won't accept me. And the Bible is very clear that God wants to be our friend, but if I carry on in that dark condition, then a spiritual death or a spiritual separation is going to take place. And that is scary. That that friendship with God is put at risk. That I might not ever know that friendship that he wants 
will be lost forever. Terrible thought. Here's the problem. I am totally incapable of making myself righteous. Now, the primary reason that Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us, dwelt amongst us 2,000 years ago, and why he's coming back, uh, the first time he came, the reason was this, to pay a great price for my unrighteousness. That is to rescue me, and boy, did I need rescuing. We've all, all heard the word salvation. It actually means to be salvaged. Uh, I was of no use or value. I was perishing, you know, like an old car tire perishes. Once it's perished, no good, can't be used. And God hunts around the old uh, rubbish tip and he finds things that have perished and tarnished and he makes them good again, salvaged. That's what, us, that's what salvation means. Picks us up, cleans us up, makes us useful again, makes us valuable again, makes us useful and valuable to the Father again. He's, prayed a, he's paid a price that makes that possible. And as he hung there and he took the punishment for all that I had done wrong in my life, he was rejected by his Father so that I need not be rejected by my Father in heaven. He was punished instead of me. My wrongdoing was put on his shoulders and his innocence was transferred to my shoulders. It's extraordinary truth. That means he was found guilty so that I might be declared innocent in his presence. He took God's anger that I might be a recipient of God's tender mercies and great love. It was the most amazing transaction that has ever and will ever take place in human history. So I said earlier that the knowledge of the glory of God is not enough to rescue us or rescue me. And that's something was required of me. And that something is very simple, that I believe in Jesus and I put my trust in him. It's so simple. And uh, I put my trust in him and that transaction that took place. And afterwards that I continue to walk humbly before him. And as soon as we do that, what a light transforms our lives. What a light that banishes darkness. What a light that puts us right with God. What a light that banishes depression, dark depression from our lives. What a light that brings clarity instead of confusion. What a light that takes away the pain of loss. true, isn't it? Praise God, it's true. What a light that takes away every single part of condemnation from our lives. The light of Jesus. You know, Jesus did use this phrase once more. And he wasn't talking about himself. He used it about us, his followers. He tells us that we are to be salt and light and that we're to be a city set upon a hill that cannot, be our, that cannot be hidden. We are to be a light to the world. Same phrase used of us. That's the kind of work he's done on us, that, we could, that it be even possible that we could be somehow present that light. We too have a part to play in bringing the message and the hope and the light to a world that's so desperately needs to hear it now more than ever. 
And there's even more. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus and the Father are coming back. Your phrase of the morning. Come, Lord Jesus. We're told that a day will come when Jesus will return for his family and that for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, a book of, that Jesus has filled with the names of guilty people, for those people there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new place to live. And then it says God himself will come down from heaven and dwell with man, tabernacle amongst us once again. And it says that there will be no need for sun nor moon, for his glorious light will fill that place. And that book will be opened. The the Bible talks about this book belonging to Jesus, the Lamb's book of life. And it's filled with bad people who put their faith in one good person. And I'm so glad my name's in that book. The only good person that ever lived who uh, transacted with us, the most amazing transaction. Jesus, the light of the world. A list of salvaged people in that book who will be with him forever. I thank God. Jesus did die for us and there was an amazing transaction that took place and he proved it by being raised from the dead through the power of his father. Our Messiah is alive. He's alive today. He's absolutely alive and working amongst us, transforming people's lives today, bringing light where there is darkness today. We should remain ever grateful in awe of our God that he would do such a thing. Some time ago, a group of school children were held hostage in Chechnya and a few of the parents offered to take the place of the children. And that's What a redeemer is, somebody who comes and takes their place, pays the price, takes it upon themselves so that they might be set free. We have a redeemer, a living redeemer. I think, Nancy, you mentioned a kinsman redeemer when you prayed earlier. We have a kinsman redeemer who took our place. His name is Jesus. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus who rescued us rescued you and me from darkness into his glorious light.